Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Greetings! Seriously? Really? Listen, I'm just trying to get your... I love, Jesus, <laughs> I love you think that's so special and sacred that, like, please just don't do it. Are you too? Don't try to do it. Yeah, you too? Good. Yeah, dude, yeah. it sucks. Just yeah, fucking good. do it. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> got, got a bit of medge to him. Yeah, Maybe really. Listen. Good. Walking, yeah. In, walking in hot. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, take that pill bottle out again, Camille. <laughs> okay, good. Dipping into some good. amphetamines there. You just keep talking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we know of new methods of attack. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. I am your generally oppressed and taken advantage of <laughs> black man trying to make it in America, trying to survive in my black body, doing it in a spectacular fashion. Camille yeah. Foster, free think. Our very first dispatch of the new year. Hoo-hoo. Yeah, you had to wait. It is totally going to be worth it. I can assure you of that because... I'm also joined by Matt Welch, Reason Magazine editor at large. Michael Moynihan is actually in the room today. What's up? Yeah, he's I'm here. here. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, National been, correspondent for Vice News tonight on yeah. HBO. It has been a little while. You yeah, can tell us about your exciting experiences out in the field. And uh, we are also joined by Anthony Fisher, who's the politics editor at Insider. Anthony Fisher is colloquially known as Fake News Fisher for <laughs> <Yeah>. obvious, <laughs> yes. self-explanatory FNF. reasons. Love that will FNF. become more clear as the program goes on. Yeah. Gentlemen, yeah. What? how the hell are you? Yeah. Oh, I'm great. Good. I'm so 2019, you can't it is deal with it. so good. Yeah. What's yeah. that? I said I'm so 2019, you can't deal with it. Oh, I see I see what you did yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> you know what that means? <laughs> you look, by the way, I just want to say, Camille, that you look like you're half asleep right now. I'm, I'm not half asleep. I'm on 15 you, milligrams of Adderall, and that's just that's and only what I've taken in the last couple of hours. By the way, I just want, I just want to say <laughs> that for people who don't uh, know Camille Foster and don't mm. have the privilege of being around his black body, um, <laughs> he comes into the studio puts a bottle of whiskey on the table, uh, takes a pill bottle out in which he, you know, <laughs> gorges on various amphetamines, and then uh, a bag of beef jerky. And yeah. he's like, you know what, yeah. I haven't eaten today, and I'm done with this. <laughs> and, and I don't know what happened, but it's just like, he's like, a, he's essentially a At least he's person. not on a fad diet. I'm not on a fad diet. I'm just not eating carbs. I'm That's not a fad diet? Well, actually, here's the thing. I went on a shoot, and I got really fat. I, I was uh, swimming. And like outside in Helsinki, and it was negative 15 Celsius. I just don't know. I don't know what that is because it just, it was on the thing. And I got out and said the the producer took a picture because we all got out of this pool and it was freezing. And I saw it and <laughs> the camera guy sent me an email, sent an email to everybody. To I don't everybody. Like this is going. He was talking about me, but I just realized it later. And he was like, does anyone have an objection if I post this? Oh. Like, and, and it was just like, I looked at it and I was like, oh, he's talking about me because I'm fat. Do you have little and man I, boobies? Yeah, I didn't look so good. I didn't look so good in that. So um, after I came back from like just pickling my insides in Finland because there's nothing else to do there. Um, I actually met a guy there who was uh, fat Freddie Mercury. I'll tell you about it later. Yeah. But uh, and then I decided to uh, to dry out for a few uh, days. <laughs> Not eating pasta. Well, I know. Well, I just I stopped drinking booze as much as I for how long? Um, (laughs) I don't know what. Well, it depends on what you mean. Because I was thinking in volume, not actual participation. I get a participation medal because I was drinking a little bit, but I just I didn't. I wasn't. 
I wasn't blacking out as much as I had mm-hmm. been previous. I wasn't you were, Kavanaugh. You were Kavanaugh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and just to put it to where I've come to last night, there was a rainstorm here in Brooklyn, and then and I was walking down the street at like midnight, drinking a forty of uh, High Life. So I've, I've, I've <laughs> true story, true story, true story, true story. I was drinking a forty of High Life in the street last night. It's a champagne of beer, and it was pissing on. Yeah, it was great. Do you go? Do you brown bag it or Fuck like that? What yeah. am I? What is this? Is this not America? <laughs> <laughs> I just I go straight up, straight up in the street. So oh, rough to yeah. a strong start. Yeah, strong no, this start. is really good. No, nice as start. you were describing yourself walking down the street drinking a forty, mm. I wanted to. See you know, Michael Moynihan, you are the blackest. Oh, by the way, you want to... You wanna, you wanna, so you, you wanna, knew where I was going. You, wanna, you want me good. to double down on that? Uh-oh. I did get two McDonald's cheeseburgers, too, because oh. it was open and I was drunk. I don't, da, know, da, da, I don't know that yeah. particular stereotype. I'm not touching any of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, by the way, it was innocent. It was a pub quiz. Gr- At the Gr- McDonald's? Yeah, yeah, one whole category was about David Bowie, so it was pretty oh. cool. Oh. Yeah, you're a ringer. Yeah, yeah. I cleaned happy, up. Happy birthday, Dead Space. That's right. Oh, it was was yesterday, that today? Right? Yesterday. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, but I think his sad. death anniversary is tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's right next to each other. Yeah. yeah. That's oh. too bad. That really just brought the We're fucking... good, because you get, you get <laughs> one more you get one more birthday. Everybody anymore. remember when Jeez. everybody died like three years ago? Oh, my God. That's really... Prince and Lemmy, everybody. Yeah, yeah, Lemmy, I saw that one coming. Did he get draped in the swastika flag as well? I think he was buried in a panzer. They drove into the side of the Hollywood Hills. It's a great documentary, by the way, called Lemmy. It is great. That has a great portion. It's not called Lemmy from Motorhead? Well, that was the old conversation we used to have with somebody else. That was always Lemmy from Motorhead, as if there was another Lemmy. But, yeah, there's a whole bit in it where he's... Talking about his Nazi memorabilia collection, and he goes out into one. He has actually had a tank, mm-hmm. and he's like firing. Uh, he had like, a little tiny apartment just off of Sunset Boulevard yeah. that's filled with Nazi stuff and yeah. knives. Knives, yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you what, it, it shows in, in one sense that you can um, be, you can collect that stuff and not be a Nazi because yeah. Levy is not a Nazi. No. He's just a moron. Mild. But I, I saw Lemmy, and Matt, you'll appreciate this as an LA person. At um, what's it called? The Rainbow Rainbow Room, of course. And every time I went in there twice, you saw him both times. In both times, <laughs> he was playing video poker and drinking uh, a Jack and Coke at the end of the thing. Yeah. And I also saw the second time I was in there, I saw um, the, uh, the was it Fast Eddie Clark or the drummer who wore the white cowboy boots, and he was in there too. And it was just like two like all these old English guys. That was why I love LA. So, by the way, here's the thing: we should do an, a live show in LA. I agree. Oh. We should do that, right? Yeah, we should. Can yep. people send us emails and tell us if you'll come? Uh, because we don't want to go out they there. They will and come. Not... I don't need them to do that. No, 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 no. You know what I'd like to hear come? from, if, we're, if yeah. we're being honest about this? Uh, send us your emails of where we should have a show. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, I that could be like LA where you're from. It could be where you're LA, LA, and, LA and D.C. make a lot of sense. D.C. makes a lot of sense. But I want to like, be, you know, L.A. would be great. L.A. would be great. Yeah. L.A. would be fun. Because you're an L.A. guy. You can We can have... All of your LA friends, like Tony and all these dudes that are, <laughs> we should get your Tony dad. Pierce on. Yeah, to Tony Pierce and uh, what's his name? Who does the little uh, California Journal? The crazy guy used to work uh, for Gawker. Ken Lane. Ken Lane. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah, get Ken Lane on to be get a great Lane, show. Get Gustavo. Gustavo. Yeah. Yeah, Gustavo's great. Yeah. Somebody's got to fucking plan these things. <laughs> yeah. I wonder who'd do that. Yeah. Yeah. Who the, yeah. Who the hell would get around yeah. to doing something like that? Yeah. By the way, I mean, it, it'll just way. come together on its own. Where's the cash? Yeah, exactly. That's what I want to know. Yeah. He, he says that. You like, tell oh, me. Planet. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, we got a full house down here at the comedy store. Yeah, we sure did. Fucking yeah. nickel. Yep. Yeah. And a huge profit. Yeah. I'm like Harrison. 
You don't, you don't see, my, Lennon you don't and see my new off-whites? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think paid for my new off-whites? Uh, me. Yeah, that's your uh, only northern um, song. So we should yeah, get yeah, into yeah. the shits. Yeah, okay. Because there are, there are right. things transpiring. Apparently, we're all supposed to be very, very concerned about the government shutdown, which is entering its 19th day, which is very close to becoming the longest government shutdown in the history of United States government shutdowns, which, as the New York Times explained to me today, is likely to cost Americans more than having just kept the government open because all of the employees will still get their money when they go back to work. Um, the but government also, has to pay way, interest on all of the payments that are delayed. It's going it, to be a total shit show. In fact, we might shit call it a crisis. I mean, it's not a crisis, but also the FAA employees, for instance, are being instructed on how to file for unemployment benefits, yeah. despite the fact that they're, they're still working. So I don't think that it's too difficult to uh, think that this is actually costing money. Mm-hmm. It is not saving money. And by the way, it's it's also, and I know that there's some sort of kind of libertarian instinct here of like, don't pay these people. Uh-huh. And we can kind of cut the fat of government this way. But there are people <laughs> that are expecting paychecks and have nothing to do with this mm. and can't pay their mortgages mm. because they're not getting paychecks and they're still going to work. Yeah. And and that's pretty shitty. I have yeah, to say that's pretty shitty. it's actually kind of 13th Amendment-y kind of, uh, yeah. there's a problem there. Like, you must work, you can't strike, you can't stay mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. I mean. Exactly right. Like, little, uh, air, traffic, air traffic controllers, things yeah. like that. Yeah. It's a little gross. It's a little bit like, I mean, could you imagine if these people had jobs where they were paid because someone else was, like, taking other people's money by force and then using it to pay them so you know, to do a job. Maybe that would be a little is offensive really? to someone's sensibilities. Is he really? You know? Yeah. place like Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, where the average salary for these people is over $100,000. Plus, they get pensions. Where are you from? And they get, what, 3% raises the start, the start, every starting, single year? The starting salary, by the way, justifiably, for the TSA people is like $23,000. Yeah. But by the way, I it, just want it, to say that Camille is coming to us via, via Skype from the woods of New Hampshire <laughs> at the Randy Weaver <laughs> Memorial Tavern. What the fuck are you doing, dude? <laughs> I, I don't... Listen, here's the thing. I only have so much sympathy for these folks. I do think it sucks to find yourself in a circumstance where you're not getting paid. I do think it sucks to be compelled to work without getting paid. This is awful and it's terrible and it's objectionable. But it is, it is an opportunity. It, is an opportunity, and I don't give a shit what the reason is. Gosh, you could to- listen. <laughs> the TSA privatized that shit. The national parks Privatized sell the shit out of it. All shit. Yeah. Sell the shit out of them. Get, yeah, get rid of uh, all of them, TSA and these problems yeah. go away. And quite frankly, this is not dissimilar but from the, the crisis on the border. The people, oh my god, they're drink, bringing the drugs across, and fentanyl is going to kill people, dude. Honestly, like prohibition is a problem. Legalize it, and there won't be a problem. That was the biggest. All of these problems would disappear if only you would <laughs> that put was me the most in charge Jamaican shit and let I've ever me do heard what from I want. Jamaican community was like, just legalize it and everything fine. <laughs> talk it's okay. up. And talk also, up. The drugs aren't coming over the border. No, no they're, 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 well, they're, they're all coming over the border. They're, they're coming through ports, ports of entry. entry. Yes. 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 They're not coming that over a car. I went right next to the border. Fentanyl is coming from China via mail, via the USPS, which again. Privatize it. <laughs> this is easy. Listen, put me in charge everything. of everything. If I were running for office, oh, this would be wow. my ad. That's a bit of a lean. And it would end yeah. with up, a picture Beto? of Willie Horton just for shits and giggles. Are you going to grow a little Beto <laughs> beard? And just like, well, Tom Steyer said today he's not running for president, so he probably... It's weird. That groundswell is so strong. <laughs> yeah. We need a really idiotic billionaire. But if he needs to spend money on some quixotic adventure, you know, there's one I mean, sitting right here. Probably got some free time these days. <laughs> oh, Come on! I, what? <laughs> Can't talk about. 
Guy's the fucking And that's the Yeah, I just want you to know that we just cut something that was really fucked up. <laughs> so fucked up. It was pretty fucked up. I actually kind of agree with your heartlessness, just in, to the it's extent. Not heartless. Just to the extent of that uh, federal employees get paid more on average per job, similar jobs than people in the private so sector. And this is, and they can't get fired. It's uh -huh. really difficult to get fired. They have a lot of protections that we can't imagine uh, having. And this is the occupational hazard. All that said, you're absolutely right, Moynihan, that like, this is just, the whole thing is so fucked if we can still say that in 2019. Well, but I mean, also, I don't think that when somebody, some sort of person who doesn't have a lot of prospects takes a job at TSA or something, and you can't sort of blame them. They don't really think that, oh, I'm taking this job at the risk that some psychopath game show host might think that there's some sort of border crisis and shut the government down for 19 days and I won't get paid. That's just the way it goes. I don't think that's in the contract. I, like, hey, by the way, and I think that's like, it's kind of like, do you read the thing when you buy, when you download the stuff from the app store? No, oh, I just say, yeah, okay. I don't think that they really can be held responsible for this. And it's quite surprising the fact that you all of a sudden are not getting paid for a non- issue. It's a bullshit issue. The entire immigration issue is a fake issue. And the guy's going on TV and yammering and creating this, I mean, talk about fake news, I mean, fake stats and all this stuff that drugs or murderers are pouring over. Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. is nonsense. It is. And these people do are not getting paychecks because of that nonsense. It's nonsense and it's bad policy, but it is similarly true that there really is no crisis with respect to the government shutdown. There are some actual consequences. There are, I think I having think having these be kind of bad. the risks. Not getting paid I bad. think having these be the risks of the job is not unsettling for me. Because I think it is fair to say that most government shutdowns are a result of bullshit, stupidity, and idiotic nonsense on the part of the people who run the federal bureaucracy. I, the fact that the president is pursuing a bad policy that is obnoxiously expensive and is unlikely to achieve its stated goals sounds a hell of a lot like the Green New Deal to me. Yeah, but you want more Octavia uh, Cortez supporters? You're not allowed don't, to mention don't, her. Don't give a, a shit about working, about, don't give <laughs> a shit about working class people us. who are making a shitty government wage and saying, well, you shouldn't have taken that job anyway. It's a government job. Uh, it's like, you know, I, I, I have a very, very good plan for creating more socialists and you just outlined it perfectly. I don't know that people who, who actually have gigs working for the government are particularly likely to sign up for my program anyhow. No. My position isn't so Mostly much that this is <laughs> that this is wonderful and good. And all working class people are racist. My position is that there is a there is a great deal of bogus nonsense on offer when it comes to coverage of the shutdown and that many of the potential solutions to the problems that ail the country they're like pretty accessible and straightforward. But the, and when, not, I, and when I hear the yeah. president talk about bringing drugs across the border and stuff, it's hard for me to not think specifically about, well, yeah, this is a manufactured problem, not manufactured because he's talking about it in this context, but manufactured because the danger of drugs it, it, in terms of their use has a hell of a lot I'm to do with the fact that they're illegal. I'm going to give you an opportunity right, right now to plug your buddy Carl uh, Hart's book. Because you saw you're doing it, yeah. Do, do, uh, saw during that um, that droning speech, mm. which you know, by the way, Trump is a is very good on the stump when he's got no teleprompter and he's very funny mm -hmm. and he does his shtick, right? He's not awful, good on teleprompter, awful on prompter. No, bloodless. There's no life to it, and the only reason we the people like him is because of that life. 
And one of the things that bugged me so much about that was that, that thousands of people are going to die from heroin mm-hmm. in the next couple of days. Yeah, it's like what, Nancy, Nancy Reagan is yeah, dead. Uh, yeah, more people will die from the Vietnam War yeah. this year. It's like, you know, what is it, 56,000 Americans died in the Vietnam War. Uh, by the way, a completely bullshit comparison. Uh-huh. But that should annoy you. It does indeed. Any of this stuff, it does right? indeed. Yeah. I mean, that, you're the Carl Hart core of your body, and I know you care about this uh-huh. so much is that you have a guy who's commanding the airwaves mm-hmm. uh for the entire nation and lying to them about drugs uh-huh. I, that was to me was one applying, of the most offensive things. and like, applying the same prohibitionist logic I, I thought it was a great teaching moment really because prohibition is a problem not just with drugs but also with immigration you make illegal something a peaceable transaction or a peaceable purchase of a product millions yeah. of people want to do x and you say x <clears throat> now is illegal what happens well, we know what happens. It's it's weird. Like we have this like everyone knows the story of alcohol prohibition. Well, of course, if you make it illegal, then it's going to be bathtub gin and some of it's going to be poisoned and Al Capone's going to rise up and you're going to do this. And you're going to do that. It's going to be more expensive and, and there's going to be corruption and there'll be mafia. We know this about alcohol. I think like uh, Gillespie interviewed Ken Burns about his prohibition documentary and said, made the obvious question, which is like, okay, dude, how about pots? Like, well, I don't know. I don't know if, if, if you can apply this thing. <laughs> dude, you yes, just you spent that many <laughs> hours on this? And Dan Beer, I believe, um, or David Beer, sorry, Beer family. David. Uh, David Beer uh, at uh, the Cato Institute, along with Alex, uh, what's-his-face, uh, is not uh, a pronounceable last name. Uh, they did a study talking about the, uh, the amount of northbound, over-the-border, Marijuana interdiction. Is that how you pronounce that? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, uh, in the last five years, uh, it's you down. really undermine your credibility. When you ask how to pronounce words, by the way. Continue. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's down. Humble. He's humble. It's good. It's down seventy-eight percent because uh-huh. shit's legal up north now. Yeah. Yep. And so the profits are down for the mafia cartels and the terrible people and the coyotes and this kind of shit. Yeah. And it's great to plan. see. Trump talk about this when 90 percent of the the heroin that comes (laughs) through the border comes through the legal points of entry. There is a great prohibition teaching moment, both on drugs and on immigration. And this president absolutely does not see this. And too many people in the country still don't. I saw some people on on the Twitters, you know, saying, my God, it's terrible if Trump makes and declares a national emergency based on something here where uh, that's not an emergency. It's a political failure. It's totally true. It's not an emergency. And then, like, in the next breath, saying, and he hasn't even declared a national emergency about the opioid <laughs> which epidemic. Is, you motherfuckers! Yeah. Which, yeah, is, yeah. which is the yeah. point that I was making, Moynihan. Yeah. The, the truth, they talk about the border, the closing of the government as though it's a crisis. Trump talks about the situation at the border, at the border as a crisis. They talk about the opioid epidemic as a crisis. Yeah. All of these crises are not so much crises, and to the extent they are problems. They are problems that are exacerbated extensively by the particular well, policies well, I, that we already have on well, the Well, I will say this. One of them, particularly the, the government shutdown uh-huh. and, and, you know, a certain number of people, percentage of the workforce not getting paychecks, it's completely unnecessary. I mean, I know also that the drug war is unnecessary, but that's kind of a bigger thing to tackle, right? I agree. Right now, when you have this guy heavy breathing on national television about the murder gangs that are leaking across <laughs> yeah. the border. Also, his totally bullshit on. stat about undocumented immigrants, he would say illegal aliens. He said that he said aliens about 10 times last yeah. night, but yeah. saying that they commit crimes at far greater rates than native-born, which is mm-hmm. actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an important fact that's still... 
uh, no matter how many times it gets repeated, still doesn't seem to percolate into like but, kind of the I, mainstream but I'll, but, I'll but I'll tell you why it doesn't. Because very, in a very simple equation is that th that might be true, but the girl that was murdered, whatever it might be, this happens periodically, this one in Iowa, for instance, that wouldn't have happened. We don't need one more, mm. right? That moral calculation is that if we keep all those people out, we prevent all of those murders. It doesn't matter that it's a lower rate. It's still a rate that we don't need. That appeals to people. They say that, you know, the net positive is immigration. I don't see. I think it depresses wages. I don't like the fact that I have to push the button and it's in Spanish or whatever. You know, the, the, the arguments mm -hmm. that you hear. I understand the argument and I hear it constantly. And I'm a, a sort of generally a pro-immigration guy. But I, I hear it constantly that, you know, they commit crimes at a lower rate. The, the When I've talked to people about this, it's like there that rate should be zero. Right. Mm -hmm. And but I the, get that argument. But the, but, the not one more uh, logic. Yeah. Is doesn't, the same, it doesn't apply to guns. It's the same uh, well, logic. I, I, no, I, it's I agree. It's the same logic yeah. that is used in gun control arguments. Yes, of stuff. course. But it's not defended by those same people uh, who are against Precisely. But, but <laughs> yeah. it contains the same flaw, which is zero tolerance flaw. Yeah. Uh -huh. You can't zero out anything. Yeah. You just can't. You can't zero out the number of illegal immigrants that come into this country. You can't. I mean, yeah. the, you can zero Trump out greenhouse gas emissions in 10 years. If only we wish and pray hard enough and clap five times and Tinkerbell you. will regrow her wings. But actually, <laughs> kind Camille's of, like slumped in his chair right now. It took like <laughs> 25 <laughs> minutes. He broke his spirit. He's fucking slumped. And he's just, I'm relaxed. Yeah. By the way, I, I want to I I say to that point, I'm not saying this is an argument the kind of the, the, the sort of zero tolerance thing is when I agree with that. I really understand why it resonates though. Yes. No, but that's sure. That, that, to me, it's if you're if you're coming from it uh, with a not one more point of view, yeah, then I think the next place to go on gun violence, on uh, a lot of the illegal immigrant uh, immigration or illegal immigrant caused violence is actually legalization. It is actually uh, the end of prohibition, both of drugs and of immigration itself. If you want people to come out of the shadows, if you want Al Capone not to be uh -huh. uh, given extra, you don't want El Chapo, who's in the New York courthouse. He's, right, he's right around the corner from us, yeah. Um, if you yeah. don't want to give them He strength, did a lot for the community, by the way. Uh, sure, yeah. Just, <laughs> by I'm, killing the people that were bad. <laughs> uh, that is how you do it. You actually reduce the number of people who... who, uh, who uh, overdose on a combination of heroin and fentanyl when you legalize marijuana in your state. This is now a totally well-observed yeah. phenomenon. So if you're if you're going for the not one more, mm -hmm. then you need to legalize some shit. That, yeah. and that seems counterintuitive. Portugal has found this when they've legalized yeah. drugs. That is really, you could have so much more of an impact on uh, gun deaths in this country if you legalize drugs mm -hmm. than any other single thing that you can do having to do with gun policy. So really, if, if you're going to go not one more, I get it. It's a, it's a totally human reaction yeah. to a bad thing. Here's how you get there quicker. But people yeah. don't want to do that because it doesn't sound intuitive to them. I think that when I listen, I listened to it today. I didn't bother with it last night. I was drinking um, high lives <laughs> in the street like a fucking grown up. <laughs> so, did, so didn't, didn't matter. Have a job. Didn't matter now. to you that the networks carried it. Then. Uh, no, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I really don't care. You know why? Because I don't have the networks. I, I have like you know Netflix and some yeah. like bootleg stuff. Did anyone watch it live? Anyone in the room? Yeah, I had to. I was on uh, the Kennedys. You, you were live. Okay, uh, I did yeah. as well. You also watched. I, but I think that when I listened to it today, Half. the thing that stuck out at me that annoyed me so much was this complete. Completely incoherent point of that trade policy. Did you catch this? Yeah, it, it'll pay for yeah. itself. Via 
tr- are really, really shitty, stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I d- d- does Actually, anyone it's, have it's a two, sense two different things of yeah. what that meant? Because <laughs> I, no. I didn't quite get it. <laughs> the imagined savings or benefit that we will get from the new deal that he struck are in excess of the cost of the wall. So the wall effectively pays for itself via Mexico. Why? Why Boom. would he even That's go? Amazing. Why would he still go to the "it will pay for" so it formulation? Pays for Wouldn't we just abandon that? At but some by point? the way, that yeah. strikes me that that you know he's like, and he had this little uh, sign. Down. He's like, <laughs> we're gonna make it. Uh, we're not gonna make it uh, a concrete because the Democrats wanted steel. I, thought, <laughs> yeah. I initially thought this was a, a fucking sop to the steelworkers union. <laughs> that like now we're like waging war on Chinese steel, and we're gonna buy all your steel to make this like completely absurd wall. He's big on aesthetics, though. Yeah. He wants it's it to be, so he's like, I want yeah. very. It's going to be a beautiful wall, yeah. and it's going to be made of steel because the Democrats want that. And then it cuts. <laughs> by the way, I see it this morning, and it cuts to these two fucking geriatrics, <laughs> one with a like a flounder eye, like just asleep. Like we're going to respond to this. I'm like, what? American the Gothic fuck is yeah. this? Yeah. You know, it was like it was like the American Gothic of the mentally ill, and it was like standing in a field. It literally should have been in like a wheat field, talking about the middle of America does not like this. It's like it was the the most limp. By the way, this is why the Cortez people. I get them. Yeah, I get them. I I'm on their side in some sense. In one sense, is that if this is. The fucking Democratic Party <laughs> go running towards it and saying they're idiots. You know, in in Whippy Goldberg, I saw this in the fucking whatever Twitter today. She, on the view, I can't believe I'm actually talking about this. But she said, you know, Cortez is, is not stop shitting on people and actually get something done. No, I don't agree nope. with that. She has to shit on these people because they're ineffective and they're idiots. And I'll tell you what, the, the the Democratic Party should be a fucking Democratic Socialist Party at this point because the other ones that I see in the response to Donald Trump have failed in every key way. When I was with the Steelworkers, with the Steelworkers Unit for Shooting a Peace, and they were all voting for Trump, and the reason they told me they were voting for Trump was because Hillary stole the primary and they got rid of Bernie. There was a picture of Bernie on the wall, like fucking Jim Jones, on the <laughs> wall of the Indiana Steelworkers Don't Union. Drink. And he was like, I can't believe that this is ridiculous. And I can't, and like, it's on the wall and like they, they stole it from him. And so therefore I'm going to vote for Trump because he's talking about these issues. Like uh, y- y- there's no excuse at this point for the Democratic Party not to lurch left. They should. Do I do I agree with that? No, of course not. But go ahead and do it because these numbskulls who get up after Trump's speech and they slur through this fucking response, which gives no sense of why I should hate the wall and should hate the government shutdown. This is the opposition, guys. This is what you get. I fucking think the Cortezes and all of those people should should be like licking their lips at this point, saying the future is ours. So you wanted a dance party? Fuck yeah. 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 By the way, that's a fake fake story. Is it the biggest fake story I've ever well, seen can, in my life? Can we can we people oh, oh. criticize her? Can we can we turn can we turn to this fake quickly? story? So uh, that's like Fisher's fake story. <laughs> fake news. Fisher that's pioneered like, that story. Yeah, that's fucking. He actually gonna, started an account tattooed on his There's shoulder. There's a total of two people, right? Uh, two. There, there was a Q, there was, there was a, a QAnon account that deleted its account. It's an anonymous QAnon yeah, account yeah, yeah, that yeah. you started. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fake news. I'm gonna let you guys go with this. You know? <laughs> let, let it run its course. Bite, you, bite the tail. Yeah. Uh, and good. then there, and there was some guy named Jordan who I never heard of who had about six thousand Twitter followers. That's the only. Uh, uh, but Jim Hoft. Oh, uh, all right. Gateway, G- gateway What count? did he? What does did he, he say exactly? Uh, whatever. Like, uh, you know, she's a stupid commie by 
dint of this video or whatever. J Jim Hoft is a, the dumbest man in America, by the way. He's I, not a smart person. My official position on this was there was not a single name brand conservative that not I could one. find that, that's as close who was angry not about, about this. Not as close as you get. Huh. <laughs> Gateway pun. That's astonishing. Yeah. But who has, who has White, White House press White House credentials? credentials. <laughs> by the way, by the way I, here's the thing. I spent some time with Gateway Pundit's White House correspondent. L Lucian? I did. I spent it. Uh -huh. I have a great picture that I'll show you later that will disgust you. <laughs> um, of myself. Lucian's actually uh, quite a fun guy to hang out with because he's a drunk. Uh, I think it's all performance art, to be honest. But uh, Jim Hoft and these people are serious. When was the last time you heard Gateway Pundit ask a question at a White House press conference or to Sarah Huckabee Sanders I'm or saying, yeah, they got fucking credentials. But after that, it's been insignificant. We can hang on to that point for a very long time. And I think it's pretty depressing that they did. But yeah, who cares? The only, I mean, I, I, the only, I don't think it's particularly important that they're like they're infiltrating the media or anything like that. But there are, it's, it is kind of relevant that Gateway Pundit and Turning Point USA are so tied with the Trump administration that like Trump administration officials will yeah. speak to them, speak at their events. Dude, this, this, the, the, the fucking thing last night was written by Stephen Miller. Oh yeah, you could tell. I mean, it's yeah, because yeah, it was a blood and carnage. And yeah. stuff. American carnage, 17. 17. Yeah, exactly. Like really? Like, yeah, American <laughs> carnage. God, these people are so, so Santa Monica's own Camille Stephen Miller. <laughs> before we started rolling, you were talking the about how you Santa thought since that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is super cute. Do you want to talk about more about that? Well, do we want to talk about how many dates we're willing to go on with her or something like that? What was uh, that? I saw I, that today. This what is so. That? So there's a couple of there's a couple of things going on. Some here. guy I mean, from first, NRA TV. I don't know what I don't know what network it was on. It was um, on NRA TV. Something that nobody watches. It? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, here's here's what I know. I know that Ocasio Cortez shows up on 60 Minutes and she is talking to Anderson yeah. Cooper and he is sitting down with this freshman member of Congress. Yeah. This is in and of itself pretty extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. And her rise to prominence is a consequence of her unseating Democratic member of Congress who was an incumbent and had been for many, many years. Yeah. And this Likely in and speaker. of itself is very extraordinary. Yeah. It's the reason why she ended up on all of these, not nightly news, what is it? Late night television. Late night, yeah. 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 So this is a huge deal. She becomes incredibly important. Republicans, conservatives are not happy with this person who's a democratic socialist who's being embraced by Bernie Sanders, who seems to suggest that maybe there's some kind of groundswell, something exciting and new happening in the Democratic Party. Adam Serwer wrote a piece for The Atlantic today, and, and the narrative appears to be, as I understand it, the only reason someone is allowed to dislike Miss Ocasio-Cortez is not because she routinely misstates facts. It's not because she routinely has very poor answers when pressed about how she plans to pay for yeah. extraordinarily exorbitant new programs that will do all kinds of ambitious things. Taxes, some things that taxes, seem impossible. In, in some cases, taxes. In other cases, the question is asked, how do you plan to pay for this? And she responds, how are you going to pay for all of this? No one asks how we're going to pay for this space force. No one asked how we paid for a $2 trillion tax cut. We only ask how we pay for it on issues of housing, health care, and education. How do we pay for it? With the same exact mechanisms that we pay for military increases, for the Space Force, for all of these uh, ambitious policies. No one ever asks how we plan to pay for other expensive things we can't so afford. For, yeah. She's not wrong about we'll that. We'll pay yeah. for it in I exactly wrong, the same it's way. The wrong answer, yeah. What a bold answer. It's a bold answer. What a yeah. what a brave response. You realize <laughs> that you can no yeah, longer you realize that yeah. you can no longer get away with trotting out numbers that are totally fraudulent. So you've decided not to use any numbers at all and simply say 
we will pay for it in the same irresponsible way we pay for other policies we can't afford. Which we don't so, really pay for. So like Mick Mulvaney yeah. is saying we need new deficits? So yeah, why does she have like to be brown or female for me to dislike her for doing those kinds of I gotta tell you, things? last night I was on uh, Kennedy uh, reacting to the, uh, the Trump speech and the uh, American Gothic uh, follow-up. Um, uh, along with uh, Guy Benson, Guy Benson, as I like to call him, and um, <laughs> Green, uh, Jimu, who was on the event. Yeah. Um, she came strong with a the reason why people are fact checking her and giving her a hard time is because she has brown skin and it makes people uncomfortable. Obviously. And okay. Let's let's hold open the possibility that that some of that might be true. It's not true. <laughs> Why? I'm sorry, it's not just, true. Just let's just bracket it. It's not it. true. Why should we do that? It's not true. Let's we make, don't do it to me alone. <laughs> let's make right? let's, let's make a it's Venn just, diagram. It's policy. Let's I'm make sorry, a Venn policy. diagram of the people who are criticizing. Uh, not really even her, but like the media's infatuation with her uh-huh. as much as anything. Look, look. In a simple wait. Yeah. In a similar way that people, <laughs> conservatives and other people were criticizing the media's infatuation oh, yeah. with Beto O'Rourke, right? Sure. Like, sure. It's the flavor yeah. of the month. And so everyone's gushing. Yeah. And so people who are not Democrats say, well, you know what? I'm not so sure about this, right? Um, the Venn diagram of people who criticize her and who absolutely adore Nikki Haley mm. yeah. is a big fucking Venn diagram. Uh-huh. It's big. And to come across that's like in the conclusion of this criticism is that it's a female's brown skin. I think Nikki Haley's brown skin. I don't want to be it's, like it's, the, the so, gradation uh, of, yeah. of brownness. But, but here's the guy. thing about this is that it's not a falsifiable proposition, right? If you go out and say this is why it's happening, you don't have to prove it, right? Mm-hmm. How can you prove it? Mm-hmm. So you just say it. And the, the, the second people deny it, say, well, of course you deny it. Of course it's the sort of right. the groundswell of racists and the rest of it. Is that I, much to the same way you say Nikki Haley is like, you know, me, any of these people, right? I mean, the, the, this fucking 999 plan that comes into that. Herman It doesn't matter. People like ideology. It's, it's all ideological. And the reason is, as you say about Beto O'Rourke, there was a, f- people fucking hated that guy. And the reason they hated that guy was not because Beto O'Rourke is particularly pernicious. I mean, it was is because the, the 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 sort of demonstration of media bias is the fact that Beto O'Rourke gets all his attention, you know, Cortez gets all his attention, but you know, where is the fucking Dan Crenshaw attention if he's not be on Saturday Night, Night Live with Pete Davidson, right? Hmm. He's an able guy. I disagree with him on a lot of things. He's a smart guy. He's actually compelling. He's actually very, like, he has the kind of, we should do, we should be more bipartisan than we are, but he is still has those sharp elbows. He's still ideological, and he's clever, and he's a veteran, and he lost his fucking eye in a fucking IED attack. All of this stuff he's is true. going for with that eye patch, though. I, I, I think it's a fake eye patch, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Crenshaw truther. <laughs> I'm sorry. Our, 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 well, friend, our friend Ben Dreyfus, who also has one eye, was was like, "Why? Yeah, why? really? <laughs> you know, Crenshaw, Dan, I love you. Come at me. We'll get you on the show." But like, why is he not getting the same amount of attention? She is from a district in which what 17 percent of the voting population. I think, I, I th- I think it was 16,000 votes. Is she a congresswoman? She, uh, she's on the other side of Astoria. I, uh, yeah, I'm, she, yeah, she's Jackson Heights kind of. Well, it's, yeah. it's uh, Upper Astoria, the Bronx, and um, uh, Jackson Heights too, right? I, I, I'm not sure if it, I, I think so. Elmhurst. I'm not Elmhurst sure. Elmhurst yeah. things, yeah. But like the thing about her is like it's it's this sort of marginal 
area that she's from. I don't mean to, to, to insult it. I mean, and that is pretty very, insulting. Uh, it is insulting, yeah. of course. I mean, it's, it's fine. Uh, fucking don't live there. It's hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> of all the places in New York to I mean, live. At least, at least fucking Anthony lives on the other side of it. We're going to talk gonna, about Camille's citing decision he's gonna later. Check, yeah, we're, we're redlining fucking Anthony. <laughs> don't, don't come to my house, everybody. Yeah. No, yeah. don't. He lives in the, nice, in the nice part of Astoria. But it's like a small, it's like this nonsense. See, like, yeah, look, it was impressive that she beat somebody who is like a kind of kingmaker in New York in New York politics, but no one was paying attention. It wasn't mm -hmm. that big of a deal. The fact that she's getting all this attention is because I don't I don't disagree with it in a way. She's fun. She's yeah. young. Mm. She's pretty. I interviewed her on I hung out with her on the day that she won. Mm. The day that those results came in, well actually the next day. And I, I really liked hanging out with her. She was she was really nice. Yeah. I didn't think That's she good. gave me any substantive answers to any questions. And I thought that she was not cut out for the job in a lot of ways. <laughs> but I liked her, right? I thought she was very appealing in some ways. So I get that bit. Uh -huh. But I also think Crenshaw is appealing in some ways, too. So you're saying you would go on a date with her? I already That's, have. Yes. <laughs> there's, 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 one, That's what you were talking about, yeah. right? One of I'm not confused. Do not tell the women in my life, <laughs> the women, <laughs> they don't listen. that you're still dating. There's multiple. Yeah. But yeah, I'm... I'm Dating her now. <laughs> but by the way, the Congress thing's getting kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I understand. can't see her. She's on Fallon. I'm it's trying to hang out with her. You. Yeah. I'm like, hey, let's go see Call Me By Your Name or whatever it's called. <laughs> and she's like, dude, I'm sorry. I've, I got fucking James Corden to do tonight. Oh, my the, God. It was karaoke. One, one thing about her defense of, uh, you know, when people go after her for the, the alternative facts oh is, my that, is that she said something along the lines of, uh, People are obsessed with being semantically correct or yeah. factually correct, but and not worrying about being morally right. She's also been criticized for making factual mistakes. One of the criticisms of you is that your math is fuzzy. The Washington Post recently awarded you four Pinocchios oh my goodness. for uh, misstating some statistics about Pentagon spending. If people want to really blow up one figure here or one word there, I would argue that they're missing the forest for the trees. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. But being factually correct is important. It's absolutely important. And whenever I make a mistake, I say, okay, this was clumsy. And then I restate what my point was. That's that right. That is a very familiar argument that that's, uh, often came from the Christian right. You know, about it doesn't matter, you know, uh, the, the consequences of unwanted children. It doesn't matter any of these things. It's it's all about morality. And, sure. and I, that's it, a very good point. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, she's bringing back truthiness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it, 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 you know, and, and gradations of truthiness. And but in, in some ways, that's channeling the id of where the Democratic Party is, or at least, you know, very online liberal enthusiasm is right now, which is uh, on on some level to, to kind of... Uh, Go back to what Camille was saying. Yeah, she's saying, I'm not going to respect this idea that we have to pay, you know, know where all the money is coming from to pay for the thing that we want to do. Because that's how we do it. Because that's how we do it. And in yeah. fact, that is how Republicans do it now. Mm -hmm. She's not wrong mm -hmm. in identifying that that is those are the rules of the game. And the new Democrats coming forward, I think, are going to completely reject it as an even – uh, anything to worry about that there's $22 trillion in debt, that there's, you know, $30 trillion. They're quite clear about, they're, they're, they're quite clear about that. It's a, that it's a, not even a thing to argue about. It's not even yeah. a thing to argue about, right? It is interesting to me that the mountain of debt that we have in this country, that no one seems to think that 
is as grave a crisis as, say, climate change. When our comeuppance related to the debt and deficit, the financial ruin that is likely to befall this country as a consequence of it, especially once interest rates uh, rise a little bit further, um, that is a hell of a lot closer than the sea level rise that is predicted. It's tangible. It's gettable in a similar sort of way. I the closest it, we've come to having sort of a national reckoning with that was the Tea Party. The problem is, and this sort of relates evaporated. to the shutdown, in my uh, opinion. So the Tea Party comes in, in in 2009, 2010, new generation of people. And this is what politics is dominated by for four years in this country. It's, a, it's, it's the reaction to uh, the financial crisis and the reaction to the reaction to the financial crisis and suddenly you have a lot of new Rand Paul types and Thomas Massey types and whoever the hell else, Ted Cruz at the time, who um, said, we got to stop spending all the money. We're going to become the next Greece. Uh, we can't go through the mythical figure of $1 trillion in annual deficits, which we're going through like this week, I yeah. think, uh, is, is, is the number. Uh, we can't do this. We have to stop it. Um, what is the thing? That changed that. What 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 is the is the moment in which that stopped being a topic of conversation? Here is my theory, and most people who are libertarians disagree with me about this. My theory is that that stopped as a result of the last government shutdown. Right? What was the last government shutdown? It was Ted Cruz in mm. October of mm. 2013 saying, "I'm going to hold my breath and turn purple until." we decide we're not going to fund Obamacare anymore. Well, wasn't right? there a shutdown earlier this year or earlier in 2018? There was, but, but the last, the last big, big one, big one right? yeah. Yeah. Uh, of, of heft, 17-day uh, shutdown. Mm -hmm. That shutdown was the result of Tea Party-affiliated, and remember, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, and Marco Rubio all, were all associated with Tea Parties. They all mm -hmm. ran against incumbents and, or people who were handpicked mm -hmm. by the party establishment. And Mike Lee, I think to his great discredit, joined uh, uh, Ted Cruz. The reason why they had that shutdown is because the House actually passed a budget. This almost never happens, but they did it in 2013. Um, and the Senate actually passed a budget. These things Almost never happened. The difference between the two budgets, one was $3.7 one was $3.5 So you would think you would go to reconciliation and you would come up with a number. I'm just spitballing here, 3.6. Yeah, <laughs> That's how that should be solved. But what happened instead is that Mike Lee, who I have a lot of respect for, and Ted Cruz, who can eat a bag of dicks and go to <laughs> Mauritius on the slow boat, um, those people sat down and <laughs> Is decided. That an expression? Yeah, I didn't. I've never I heard that. Made it, <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, that's good. Cool. Uh, I decided that we're not going to appoint people to the conference that people have when the Senate passes a bill and the House passes a bill. And you have to like have a conference. That we're not going to do it because that's Washington business as usual, man. Yeah. And instead, we're going to do this to defund Obamacare. What is the result of them doing this totally predictable, they're going to have to cave at the end shutdown in October of 2013? That is the end of using the debt ceiling as leverage mm -hmm. to talk about long-term entitlement pro problems. That is the end of using budget uh, showdowns and, and continuing resolutions. Uh, very soon after that, 
when Republicans took power uh, uh, in 2014 in the Senate, the first thing that Mitch McConnell said is no more shutdowns, no more debt ceilings, just going to punt that all in the future. We're done with it. And it was the end of actually reforming or doing anything interesting with Obamacare itself, right? The policy wheels of the Republicans coming up with uh, repeal and replace for Obamacare, that stopped. This was a petulant act of, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to become a rock star, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in filibustering on the Senate floor. But when it's done, the two main policy things that they claimed to be championing were fatally weakened. That was the end of any kind of fiscal rectitude among the Republican Party and the end of any kind of Obamacare anything coming out of that. So what I think what we'll see with Donald Trump, whatever comes out of this thing, and I and I would uh, imagine that he's going to actually try to do the national emergency, yeah. the military style eminent domain, and God knows what else is going to come up because he wants to, I would imagine, he wants to be able to blame the courts or blame whoever is going to block him at the end so that he, he can become a martyr. But when you hold your breath like that from a very weak uh, uh, negotiating position, that's it. That's the last, it's the last gasp. To, to pivot back there for a moment, did, is that what you suspect will really happen? Yes. That, that the national emergency? But, is but, there... but, but also, I just want to say that uh -huh. I think that's right. Uh -huh. And I think that that uh, sort of libertarians, as you said, who disagree with this, disagree with it at their own peril. Because, I mean, learning the lessons from this, and I think that to Camille's question, if the national emergency thing happens, mm -hmm. when I look at the Tea Party, and I covered this, and I was at Reason at the time, and I was at all these Tea Party rallies, we did videos, I wrote about it, et cetera. And I, I actually did Glenn Beck's show at the time, prior, prior to the chalkboards, by the way, mm -hmm. pre-chalkboard, mm -hmm. which is an important distinction. You brought your old chalkboard. You, I did. I had, a pocket, I had an Etch-a-Sketch in my pocket, which I just did. Andrew Davis. Yeah, I drew a picture of Henry Wallace on my fucking Etch-a-Sketch. Uh, that's a deep one. But, but uh, the one thing that's interesting to me about this is is just in a kind of looking at the efficacy of the Tea Party and the mm -hmm. staying power of the Tea Party, mm -hmm. is that a lot of those people that I talked to then, I know some of them are actually on the sort of Trump train now, mm -hmm. and, don't, and never gave a shit about the things that we thought totally true. Shit. I mean, when we think about what Donald Trump is threatening here, and we're trying to kind of adjudicate whether he actually believes this, or he's actually going to do this, is a vast expansion of executive power, of just, mm -hmm. or not an expansion, but using the levers of executive power to these kind of sinister ends. And that is the threat. And I know a lot of people on the right are actually hoping he actually does this, right? And the first thing is that. The second thing is that I, I look at, I go back to these people on the, the kind of uh, the, the, the sort of Tea Party years and the people I talked to. And I wish I had some of that footage we never used because I remember arguing with a guy about literally arguing with a guy about whether Eisenhower was a communist dupe. <laughs> it was, some of that made it in the final cut. It might have actually made yeah. it in the final cut, but it was just like a hilarious moment when I realized that these people literally have no idea what they're talking about. And it was the extremism of that was what is, is essentially killed. They never cared. You're talking about these things about reconciliation. You're talking about the difference between a $3.5 billion budget and $3.7 billion budget. <laughs> Mike Lee, nobody that I met, and nobody, and, and this is talking to people when actually reporting this stuff and traveling the country and the rest of it, that none of these people cared about that it stuff. Doesn't have, it doesn't it, have any sort of the, the, resonance. No resonance whatsoever. Yeah. So the, 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 the transition from that Tea Party, which was the make-believe thing, that they cared about fiscal responsibility, they cared about sort of 
even if it was Randian principles or if it was free market <laughs> principles, they could give a fuck. The reason that they transitioned so, so quickly to Donald Trump, this wasn't a magic trick. We didn't need Banachek to explain this to us. It is, they never cared about it to begin with. So when there was this kind of argument about this kind of Tea Party people who are beating these incumbent machine Republicans, as it were, they, they didn't care if they actually fulfilled their promises. It was all about the, the feeling of it. The fact that Glenn Beck, the first show that we ever did for the, the Vice nightly show, the first piece that ever read was, was myself and Glenn Beck on his mountain retreat. And I spent a day with him. I actually, at the end of that, and I fucking hated Glenn Beck. I refused to do a show after those couple of times I did it. I wrote a very mean piece called Beck You, which was making fun of, I watched a couple of episodes of his Glenn Beck University thing, and I said this is an embarrassment to him and to television and to Fox and whatever. And he actually knew, he read the piece, and he confronted me about it when I went to, to interview him. And he said, no, I know what you wrote about me. And he was incredibly nice, incredibly generous, incredibly cool about it. And the thing about Beck was talking about that stuff with him. He said to me, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he effectively said, you know, I really didn't know what I was talking about. And I was learning as I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And I had some regrets about the things that I said to people and how insane I went. And he actually had the presence of mind to do that. And you see that he's kind of a little bit on the Trump train now. He hated Trump before. He was voting for the Constitution Party, what he told me. And he and said he even said he considered Hillary. He considered Hillary, yeah, yeah. Holy yeah. Shit. He told me that too. <laughs> and um, and again, I, you know, I'll probably, you know, with certain people in my social group not make a lot of friends by saying, I liked him, I do like, I mean, he was a nice guy and I thought he believed it when he was actually thinking these things through. But I realized that none of the people that were following him were thinking these things through. And they very, very quickly went to Trump. Mm. And I think you saw the fissure in the Tea Party bit was that a lot of those people identified as Tea Party that were big, big, big Beck fans. They were giving those monster ratings. The reason that became kind of a news story in 2015-16 was because they couldn't believe that he was denouncing Donald Trump. And they said, you're a fucking commie traitor. And I said, wait, 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 wait. He was actually kind of being principled on this. And I don't know where he is now. And I don't listen to his program. And I haven't spoken to him probably since then. Maybe a few emails. But it's an amazing thing is that the Tea Party thing was kind of a hoax. I think there were people that were creating this that believed in it. And it was, you know, the people, some of the people that we know in D.C. and some of the people that were really rock-ribbed kind of free market types that were out there on the lecterns on the mall. But most of the sort of rank-and-file people couldn't have given a shit about this stuff. I think that... Um, Maybe I'm not being generous there was enough. No, I, I mean, uh, Emily uh, uh, Eakins, who used to work for Reason Network, yeah, did, some, did some polling, uh, yeah. some, some polling on that. And she came up with a rough split of, of that half of the tea party were kind of traditional mostly social conservatives and half were more uh fiscal conservatives but i think the best uh response to this and i'm sure i've mentioned this in the show before uh was uh thomas massey talking about yeah campaigning for Rand paul in iowa uh when he thought that like hey look we're all tea party and everyone who follows us really believe in our fiscal yeah. rectitude and this kind of stuff like no they just wanted the craziest motherfucker in the room yeah um and that for a while was tea party guys and yeah. now it's donald trump 
he's he's actually more crazy than. But did Emily guys. and and I think this that work she does is interesting. Did she break it down to the sort of newcomers to politics? Because there's a lot of those people that were like you know Republican establishment people that say, you know, look, I'm a fucking Randian or like I'm a Fun Mises guy or there I'm was a Hayek a lot of people, guy. You recall? Went to, yeah, you recall uh, the new people I didn't there was trust the the. The older people, which was legitimately interesting in 2009 and 10, and I went there um, as an emissary for Camille Foster looking for evidence of racism. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not even kidding about that for a second. I, I don't just, doubt it. Uh, I went there uh, assuming that there'd be a lot of bones through the noses of Obama yeah. and that there'd be a I lot did of, see a couple of those. Uh, but, I mean, in a sea of 100,000. No, I know. I know. There yeah. wasn't actually much discussion. Those are Soros plants. There really wasn't much discussion. Mr. Fisher just texted me. I just, by the way, news Fisher. I, just, I, I, I yeah. talked to him. Now he's not rubbing his temples. I got it. You win. There wasn't a lot okay, about immigration. Stop. There wasn't a lot about welfare. There wasn't uh, a lot about affirmative action. That, that wasn't part of the conversation yeah. for the most part. Now, you did hear a lot in 2009 and 10, and maybe it stopped there, of people who'd been conservative, maybe activist, maybe not, but like had been in the game and been paying attention, who felt a sense of guilt for having sat on their hands during George W. Bush administration. Well, I think the reason that you didn't get so many of those cultural issues or race issues or immigration issues, because if you watched uh, Fox... They, for for instance, I mean, it's not all Fox. It would be the sort of conspiracy theorists. And I was on Fox at that time and you know, did the judges show and I did Beck show and all these things. But part of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. can't believe the Constitution. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. Um, but the read the, the, the Judge I don't know. Bernie? I think, I think that was, I don't know who that was. Yeah. That was some sort of psychotic, uh, was that Bernie? Did I know no, Bernie? No, no, no. I didn't know Bernie. But the thing about it was, is that there was the obsession on Fox at the time in conservative media was the fact that governments were taking over car companies. That was like number one. That was like the, the, the long march through the institutions towards socialism was that Barack Obama was now going to own a car company in the way that a European country would own a car company. Mm -hmm. At the same time, by the way, this is a great talking point at the time, so uh -huh, it's actually uh -huh. true, was that the, the Swedish government, the socialist government, refused to bail out Saab. They were asked. Go, yeah, they were asked, and, they, and the Frederick Reinfeld's government said, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, we don't and do that And then a Sweden. Dutch company, and then a China, Chinese company, and then went out of business. But that was the harbinger of things to come, was that Obama social, socialism was, was, was coming, and it wasn't just sort of marginally higher tax rates, it was the fact that the government was going to take over industry. And that's what animated people in the early days of the Tea Party. And they could not get their mind off that to be, be care about immigration long enough. It's also drunk, by the way. Just so That's you know. okay. Yeah. I, I don't I don't reject your explanation, that Matt. I've always <laughs> been a bit mystified by the way the Tea Party rose, the specific sort of limited government rhetoric that they used, that particular concern about the debt. Like I, I thought it was genuine and I was a little astonished when it evaporated. And I'm even I was even more astonished in some ways, but perhaps less surprised since this, is already, this had already happened with the Tea Party to see how quickly Republicans vacated even the rhetorical support for some of these things that they had previously talked about so so vociferously before. Um, and now the fact that you have sort of a surge of rather explicit populist sentiment on the Democratic side. There is certainly still some tension between the emergent Ocasio-Cortez, Sanders wing of the Democratic Party and the establishment Democrats who worry that they're getting a bit too grandiose with their yeah. promises and that this might endanger their electoral prospects. 
I'm not so sure about that. I think a lot of voters, there's something tangible about populist appeals to yeah, most sure. voters. Of course. Um, there's something tangible about the sentiment that they don't, they have things that they don't deserve. I feel a little uncomfortable with what I'm getting. And yeah, if you are making $11 million, I do think I deserve 70% of that last million that you made. These aren't completely ridiculous and unpopular ideas, even if they're not particularly sensible from an economic standpoint. And I think related to related to that sort of general concern and the fact that Trump makes populist appeals, and and I think it's the populist appeals that get him elected along with his celebrity more than any sort of race mongering, but it's a minority opinion. (laughs) See what I did there. Very well. Um, Thank you. By the way, Camille's black. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening at home, this is the first time you've downloaded this off a recommendation (laughs) on fucking Stormfront. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Camille's black. (laughs) Thank you for all of your support, Stormfront. But it's also, uh, we also talked a lot about, you know, the rise of Bernie and Trump in 2016 that 2016 was a populist year. I think we now know that it's kind of more like a populist era. It's a, it's yeah. a populist yeah. it's a populist right. moment. It it's may it right. may in fact be here to stay. And and I, I say that as a setup to pushing us to this one specific aspect of this uh, this budget crisis, um, the government shutdown crisis. The notion of Donald Trump using a state of emergency, a declaration of a state of emergency, in order to try to accomplish getting his border wall built, is a pretty frightening precedent. Terrifying. Yeah, I think so. Because there are so many emergencies. There yeah. are so many crises yeah. that There's we face. Fine emergencies. There's and, 130 a year. And, and yeah. Democrats certainly have their their choice crises that they might appeal to. Would it be energy? Yeah. Might it be any number of other things? And I don't hear the sort of strident condemnations of the talk about emergency powers and the exercise of emergency powers by Donald Trump, I don't hear the kind of specific condemnations of it that I might have expected to. And perhaps it's because it's still a little early. Maybe I'm just yeah, not looking no. for them closely. Look, but I, maybe it's because yeah, they years. also would like yeah. to do the same sort of thing. Yeah. You know, we've been on, the, and I think everyone in this room would agree, there's been a sort of long, loping, slow arc towards people not giving a shit about like usurping power, the executive usurping power and saying, you know, look, there's this sort of basic things about the Congress should take care of. This is Congress's power. The president thinks because he's too dumb to understand this, that this is his power. They should he should sort of exercise more presidential power here. Why is this not a concern? Because we've been eating up this kind of thing for, what, 15, well, I mean, since the beginning of the Republic. But in the past 15 years, we, we have been sort of inured to this idea that the, the president can actually make this sort of power, right? So does, does, does it surprise you in any way that nobody reacts when Donald Trump says, I might declare a state of emergency? The Democrats should be panting and hyperventilating, be over panting and hyperventilating and saying, this is the fall of democracy. They're not doing anything of the sort, right? Nothing, nothing at all. I've, not, I've seen nothing about this, that they're, 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 they're upset about, I'm talking about policy things. Yeah, yeah. They're not talking about the fact that the fucking president is saying that I might use executive power yeah. to declare a state of emergency. This goes back to like 2006 and seven. I wrote about this for a reason at the time. The Naomi Wolfs that were, mm. were comparing everything to fascism and saying the enabling act of 1933, April of 1933 in Germany. Mm. Nobody's making those references anymore because it's just kind of de rigueur at the moment. But I want to pull one thing slightly back. And actually, I want to throw this to the group as a, as a question. Is that, you know, 
are we in a populist? Anthony said something which I think is right. We're not in a populist moment. We're in a populist era. Mm. Are we becoming Europe in the sense we, we've all we've slowly become Europeanized in the particular senses in American politics? But are we becoming Europe in the sense that we need a social democratic liberal party? That we have the two parties, right? We, this is everyone said this is a fucking horrible feature of American politics. I actually don't think that because we see that when you have nine parties competing for things in Europe, the Swedish government, the Swed Sweden had a, had an election in, in September. They still don't have a government. You ever think about it, we're, we're talking about a government shutdown. They literally shut they down literally the government. They literally have no parliament. government. <laughs> they pay their federal and they pay their employees, but they do not have a functioning government because they have so many splinter parties. Ireland, Israel, Every it fucking, happens all the time. It's called progress, is, people. This is it's not progress. a good thing, right? I don't know about that, <laughs> Moynihan. And by the way, like, if you think that populist fucking psychopaths don't get a, a say in European politics, you're not paying attention to your, attention mm. to your European politics. Do we want this kind of government? I don't know. But the one thing that I think is true is that you have something like libertarian, free market, classical liberal, as they say in Europe, not in the fucking Dave Rubin way, which is like, I want to associate with liberalism despite the fact that I have Stefan Milieu. What is his name? <laughs> Molyneux. Yeah. Milieu is good. Literally, by the way, literally the man talking about IQ on the internet is the dumbest person I've good. ever read yeah. on the internet, which good. is quite a, quite a feat. But I do appreciate that he's pulled off the white nationalist mask totally oh, in recent so weeks. Yeah. It's so good. It's I, so good. Because people were pushing back He's on me so for two years on that fucking and, yeah, stupid yeah. this guy is a fucking embarrassment to the internet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not even to ideology to the internet but i want to have this last question is that these parties like let me say the fdj in germany the 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 are they the, you know these free the free democratic party in mm. germany which is a which is a sort of free market party they don't get a lot of attention they don't get a lot. This is a thing that libertarians have to actually confront. Their ideas are not nearly as popular when given a sort of base example of a, explain this in 30 seconds on the stage. Mm -hmm. They're not nearly as popular as the Cortezes. This is as true. The Trumps, which is Trump, by the way, is a Cortez in his own way. They, they are the Ocasio same person. Cortez. Okay. Well, yeah. Why do I have to say Ocasio? <laughs> we don't, we don't know. The, we don't, don't know. Have to say that because AOC. it's her name. AOC. People don't know. Her name would be AOC. O under the. They, they are the same Who person. Fucking cares. They are, <laughs> I, in my in my imagination, yeah. they are kind of the same person. But you do understand the point that I'm making. More effective. This stuff does not resonate in the way that social democratic. You're saying liber do. libertarian. No, it doesn't. That's true. I don't know what you do about why that. these dumbasses can't. The fucking Niskanen Center. God bless you guys. <laughs> of trying to make like we're gonna make he it. We're gonna try to pretend that we're like these people. And we're going to pretend that we're Cortezy. I don't know. And you'll pretending. like me. Well, yeah. I don't know. What are yeah. they trying to do? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. What is their what, like a kinder, the, gentler capitalism? How so? Which is, how are they convincing it's not people? Not capitalism. I mean, but how are they convincing people? <laughs> I don't people? know. You know, the Cortezy stuff lands with people for an obvious reason. We can, the billionaires have stuff, let's a zero-sum game, they're taking from you. Yeah. It resonates with everybody who's dumb, which is everybody in America, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the, the voting bloc likes this stuff. What are libertarians, what are free market people doing to punch back at that? They had a moment, and it was the Tea Party moment, and they fucked it up. But they I, fucked it up by fucking talking about, like, commie conspiracies with Glenn Beck. Well, here's the thing. I think that libertarians, small L. Yeah, tell um, us about it. Declarations have, of the Independence. Whatever. Man. Welch. Um, 
have had. I'm sorry, I'm drunk. I'm making no sense. Bunch. I mean, I'm not going to take a picture of your Helsinki <laughs> belly <laughs> coming out of your. It's pants so rare there. that you ever admit it to. I know. You know I have um, to though. I'm just a fucking alcoholic. <laughs> I was uh, to make it sound like that I'm fancier than Tonight. I am. At one point, Rand Paul invited me to come and speak to a bunch of interns on Capitol Hill. I mean, <laughs> is that a euphemism? I was not unresponsive. To speak to interns? What's up, Kevin Spacey? Uh, no. Uh, and, on Nantucket? And it was supposed to be like, you know, how do we make social change kind of thing. Yeah. We're all working through it. By plunging um, his hand on the front of your pants. <laughs> Happy birthday, Rand. I think he has the same uh, birthday as David Bowie. This which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, One is interesting. Um, wow. Jesus Christ. Rough. By the way, can I just say, as a, I interviewed Rand Paul in Iowa, and I was like, hey, Rand, I worked at Reason, and he was like, yeah, get on with it. And I was like, you know what? You're going to fucking lose, and you are a loser, so fucking oh, like, be nice to me. And he wasn't. I don't know. I mean, Matt, do you want to try and complete the thought? Just that. There are different I'm ways. I'm drunk, Camille. I'm sorry. There are different ways to uh, like address the policy borg than electoral politics. There always have been. This is true, right? Yeah. So, like the right now, even under the guise of an authoritarian president who doesn't understand basic anythings about economics, about policy, about who Rand Paul likes sometimes. whatever. Oh, Rand Paul is. Um, Taking one for the team, debasing himself, I think, on a, yeah. on a pretty regular basis in order to try to influence Donald Trump's foreign policy, mostly, not fully, uh, in a direction that I find copacetic. I'm glad that he's playing golf with Donald Trump. And this is this, I want someone yeah. who's around Donald Trump to say, hey, look, you have an anti-interventionist streak. You campaigned on this, and I am here to help you try to find that, even though nobody that you've appointed around you in your national security apparatus has anything to do with this and agrees with you on this, sure. right? So uh, uh, what I said at the little intern thing is that you have... <laughs> Listen. The little intern thing is your new nickname. <laughs> no, it's my aspiration more than anything else. Uh, no, it's like, listen, what are, what are the libertarian goals that were that were achieved in the last five years? Right. Pot got legalized everywhere. Mm -hmm. That had nothing to do with politicians. Nothing. Zero. And in, in addition, like right now, under the Trump administration, there is more uh, activity to roll back regulation than there has been in any presidency since uh, Ronald Reagan, for sure. And, and maybe even Jimmy Carter was the real deregulate, deregulating president out there. Um, you know, there's a long game uh, being played by people at the Federalist Society and elsewhere to have not conservative judges necessarily, but actually libertarian judges. Mm -hmm. My God, right now there is an active wing on the Supreme Court led by Sonia Sotomayor, or whatever. Sotomayor. Thank Sotomayor. you. Sotomayor. That's yeah. Wow. From that the Bronx. Incredible. Uh, and Neil Gorsuch, mm -hmm. right? They are teaming up on uh, criminal justice issues in a way. Uh, Neil Gorsuch is so much better on protecting rights in any, like, sensibility that you can imagine than Merrick Garland ever would have been. Mm -hmm. Like, from the perspective of AOC. It's a very interesting and under-discussed point. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the the greatest libertarian gains, and that's like a twenty five year, thirty year project. So you work outside of electoral uh, politics, gay marriage acceptance, and, and just acceptance of gay lifestyles. That is like 
Ellen is responsible for that. And she's actually getting dragged this yep. week yep. because she interviewed Kevin Hart yep. and was sympathetic towards him. Then yep. she's not in, she's not sufficiently. My God, yeah. 20 years ago, she was going to commit suicide uh, career wise mm-hmm. because she came out as gay. Yep, yeah. I'm gay. Which was By the way, is, an a, incredible a, a, a quick intervention there is that has anyone's question, has she backed down? From what she said in defense of Kevin Hart, I haven't paid attention seen to that. it closely, but I, I, I feel, so. I feel like I would have seen it had yeah. she have. Yeah. By the way, Ellen's fucking badass then, because yeah. everybody else in these <clears throat> situations usually capitulates. And but says, she's, I'm she's sorry. such an, she is such an institution at this point that she, she could stand up to. Well, it, you, you know, know, but it's it's, just, it's the same thing as Dave Chappelle when he comes out and does fucking trans jokes or does whatever he wants to do. Is that he has fuck you money because he did four specials for Netflix for sixty five million dollars. Mm-hmm. So good. And I'll tell you what, in America. These days, to say what you want to say, you have to have millions of dollars. Yes. It's like it sounds like a fucking Marxist point that I'm making mm-hmm. is that to say what you want to say, you have to have millions of dollars. When someone said that to me in the 1990s, it was a Ralph Nader supporter. Now it's a person who is like skeptical of the social justice types. No, it's Quillette. It's Quillette. Yeah, it's like Claire Lehman and these people. Is that to say what I want to say? I don't have the ability to say what I want to say. I say something tonight and I say, fuck, we should dial that back. I'm too drunk. <laughs> Why? Not because I'm afraid of the thing. I'll be sober. And when I'm sober, I could debate the point, but I'm, I'm afraid of losing my, I'm afraid of losing my job. And, and, and the thing is, is that Ellen DeGeneres can defend Kevin Hart because Kevin Hart is not a homophobe. I don't believe he is. That if somebody thinks that that guy hates gay people, Come at us and, and let's I mean, have a discussion. Joy well, Reid is still I on TV. Joy well, Reid is still on TV. She made, she, she made amends for making homophobic comments. She she made really she made both. amends. She fucking lied and well, said what, other people said it. She, you're right. You're yeah, right. Yeah. She lied. She, she she's amends. a liar. What, yeah. what, what I'm saying is piece of she, shit liar. She, did, she, <laughs> just, she she sort of kind of half-assed admitted to some of them and then claimed some of them were hacked. It, it, it really wasn't bullshit. None of them were fucking hacked. Of course, admit that you had an opinion. No, she got she got away with it. Is the is the short version. Fair enough. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll concede the point. <laughs> the, the macro point, though, is that she still is totally in good standing. Sure. She, all right? yeah. she, like, she, I mean, well, she you, has you, the right politics. She has the right politics. But, but Kevin, someone else, Kevin, someone else on no, that, Kevin Hart has no politics. Someone Zero else politics. on that. It's a good point. No, actually, this, is, this isn't true. He, no, doesn't he, have Trump, he doesn't have Trump politics. What that is mean? the same as having politics. What politics People presume that you think he is bad. I would say so. By default, to the extent that you're not Kanye West and you're a black dude. No, but that's no default. You're presumed. I to have left wing politics unless you advocate. say otherwise. He hasn't advocated for any politics that I've I don't seen. Know. No. I've, let, that, let me Anthony's tell you. Right. Let me tell you. Anthony's right. You're wrong. Uh, if he had a MAGA hat, if he had a MAGA hat, he <laughs> yeah. would not be getting away with it. No. Well, okay. That's, that's advocating for politics. Yeah. 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 But we should use this point to pivot to the race politics. That's, ex- madness. that's exactly yeah. what I was going to do. Go ahead. Um, no, this is a total, total calamity. Tremendous um, entertaining. It's a fucking disaster. Let me let me try to get somewhat serious for, for a moment because this is a very serious oh, topic. God, here he goes. Um, Jasmine Barnes, the oh, yeah. seven-year-old oh, sure, young yeah. lady in Texas who was tragically and horrifically murdered in front of her mother mm-hmm. in not a, a drive-by shooting, what in the beginning appeared to be some sort of insane road rage incident, a road rage incident, which immediately became the latest racial watershed. Her parents and various activists were convinced that this was another example of resurgent white racism. A white man was said to have driven up beside the car and mercilessly shot at it and killed this little girl and wounded her mom who was in the hospital. And you can see these videos of her mother in a 
actually. Um, every single time I thought about it, it was impossible yeah. to look at this and not think about my own daughter. Yeah. And we all have daughters. Yeah. It was tragic, yeah. and it was a circumstance that became immediately political. This instance of obvious white racism, the presumption that that is precisely what was going to be found mm. out, and the bizarre turn when two black guys turn out to be the culprits in this particular shooting. Mm. Um, and the similarly bizarre turn where one of the people who was initially suspected was a white guy who happened to look like the original police rendering. Um, a, a white guy who was even after the black guy was caught, apprehended, uh, had confessed to driving the vehicle that the gunman was riding in, even after he had been caught and confessed, the white guy's still getting death threats at his house um, related to this. And I'll I'll use the name, by the way, because Sean King, Uh who is, um, he's blocked me on Twitter. (laughs) By the way, the reason he's blocked me on Twitter is because his some of his columns were plagiarized. Some people pointed this out. I got involved in this because I write about plagiarism quite a bit. But I was the only person to defend Sean King, despite the fact that he blocked me, because I called his editor, because I actually did fucking journalism, mm. and called his editor, and his editor said, I'm responsible. Yeah. So I actually re- went back to Twitter and said, you know, his editor said he was actually responsible, not Sean King. It was too late. Sean King. How does that work? How does the editor, how is the uh, editor responsible? For I actually, actually believe this in some way. But the point being is that Sean King said he wasn't responsible. His editor did. His hmm. editor took the fall for it. I reported this because I called the editor. Nobody else did. And Sean King nevertheless blocked me and said that I was a horrible racist or whatever. But he said this thing about the uh, Jasmine uh, Barnes. 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 Mm-hmm. What more can you tell me about Robert Cantrell? I'm going to repeat the name. Because Sean King was the guy that to his thousands and tens of thousands uh-huh. of followers uh-huh. said and, and, and posted a picture of this guy and said, he's the racist that shot this little girl. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about people didn't, you know, destroying other people's lives. You plagiarize. Your columns were plagiarized. They were under your byline and they were plagiarized. So therefore, I went to the source. Your editor took the fall for it. I went out there and said, you didn't do this, according to your editor. And you're out there uh, took, t- uh, posting a picture of this guy named Robert Cantrell. There's a photo of him right here. He has one point. One one million million followers. followers. Yeah. So Sean King, your byline had plagiarism in it. That's your responsibility. And I went out there and said, you know what? And actually it wasn't him because his editor took the responsibility for it. But you are out there denouncing people named Robert Cantrell. I can't actually check this that he deleted this tweet. Has he? He all, has deleted it. All of he has. But, but yeah. five, five, hours, has. five hours ago, he was tweeting at NPR saying, stop referring to people as felons. So oh, he's, in yeah, general, yeah. that concerned about yeah. people's reputations. Yeah. He is out there de- defaming people as child murderers because it actually fucking works in his favor for his racial narrative that there is a sort of murderous white supremacist kind of thing. I don't give a shit about this story in that kind of n- narrative. Racial narrative context. The racial yeah. narrative context. Right. I care because I have a daughter and I think this is fucking horrifying. Yeah. But I think it's more like more horrifying in the political context the number of people that have been out there saying, let's find this. We will not sleep. And you know what? They're all sleeping. Now. Well, but I mean, Sean, all... Sean King actually is credited uh, 
with uh, generating the information that led to the arrest of these two uh, these two gentlemen. At least one of them. Right. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. what they, yeah. they got some he anonymous got tips that these okay. two so guys why, were involved. So why do we care about that? And why do we give Sean King credit for something the police would have done on their own? Maybe. Of course they would have. To the extent he gets any credit, I mean, it's it's because he got involved in this case because he believed it was a racially motivated hate crime. But why do we give Sean King credit? It when I have a screenshot in front of me uh-huh. where he's denounced somebody and said, I want more information about this guy who I believe was responsible for killing a white child. I don't I don't think he I don't think he earns and any that credit guy's for life it. has been fucked. Yeah. As a yeah. direct result. So why are we giving this guy credit? Saying, We're not. Well, I got some information. Yeah. That information would have come to the yeah. police in Houston anyway. Well, the question the question that was raised in a Vox piece, uh, why the death of a seven year old black girl became a national story about race and violence. Well, it became that for obvious reasons. There is an appetite for these particular stories, for any story that appears to check these particular boxes. We all already know all of the facts, even before the evidence has been has come in. And had this been a circumstance like so many other circumstances where we just simply never know, yeah. we don't know, then this would have been another obvious example of how far America has fallen, of how desperately backwards we are, of how overtly racist we are, when in fact, all of the evidence suggests the opposite, that since the 1960s, the country has become incredibly more diverse and incredibly more progressive in terms of these issues way. This story is a national news narrative because of all of our over-concern about these issues. And our over-concern about these issues leads to false positives, which has real ramifications in people's lives, both with respect to this man who was accused publicly by a nationally recognized journalist acting on Twitter. What a journalist would do would get information and take that information and start asking people in that local community, in law enforcement, and keep it close to their chest. This is reckless. And say, but what he is is not a journalist. He is an activist and he's a dangerous activist because he fucking ruins people's lives. If I did that, I couldn't fucking sleep. I actually feel a little ashamed personally. Why? I, don't know why. I, I would not, I would not sleep. If I, if I, if I <laughs> accused a guy of murdering a child. It'd be bad. I would not be sleep. Bad. I would fucking like go nuts out. Like, what does he do? Delete the tweet, goes forward. This taps into the uh, the subject at the top of the podcast. I gotta stop drinking, by the way. <laughs> it's too late. No, it's way, way too late. Too late. <laughs> way too late. Um, which is that the president of the United States told five terrifying anecdotes mm-hmm. during his speech mm-hmm. about, I think five, a uh, handful, yeah, about yeah, yeah. people being killed by, by illegal immigrants. Yeah. Those anecdotes, I think, are probably true or true enough, right? And they're terrible and they're horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we know as kind of sentient adults here that, um, okay, you can't zero tolerance this out on, on one level and you can't make anecdotes into data. He's been trying to make anecdotes to, to intimate that anecdotes are data. And actually, the administration has spent a lot of time lying I mean, just lying about how we stopped 10 terrorists a day coming north uh, from the southern border. It's a lie. It's Mm -hmm, not true mm -hmm, at all, mm -hmm, at all. mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, they've been making this intimation. So we should all think about this 
the the same people who tend to oppose Donald Trump when they wake up in the morning and they want to go to those anti Betsy DeVos vigils in Brooklyn and they want to do all this and they want to resist with all the hashtags. Mm-hmm. Um, those same people are relying on a very similar anecdotal evidence chain. Like this one thing happened. Therefore, my entire theory about the world mm-hmm. must be true. Yeah. Even if the actual stats don't back that up, that should be a wake up call to people. When you see that happening in the president and you don't like the president, look around you. Are you doing that yourself? New York weatherman goes on television and mentions an event at a Martin Luther King named venue. And it turns out that he says Martin Luther Coon quickly corrects himself and says Martin Luther King. Overall, it was great. Just the way I look out at Martin Luther King Jr. Park. Yeah, I agree. At the Zamboni machine house. There is an uproar. The mayor writes uh, a letter saying that he should be fired. Uh, A local black journalist association writes an angry letter to the media organization that employs him. And after a, quote, internal investigation, uh, his news organization decides to fire him. And I'll say this for anyone who hasn't seen it, you should go find the video of this man sitting next to his wife talking to a journalist. Um, talking about the experience of getting fired, talking about how sad he was that this had happened to him, and looking visibly distraught. After you found out, you saw the video, did you want to apologize? Yes, yes I absolutely did. And that was, that was my suggestion to our general manager, Richard Reingold, that he give me the opportunity to explain what happened and to give an apology to anybody that may have been offended. Some out there are wondering... While you certainly have come out and called it a mistake and apologized, they're wondering if you understand the gravity of the word itself, the hurt that it can bring to a lot of people in the community. Yes. And any derogatory, any racial slur, I know there's intense hurt associated with that. Um, To be honest, I don't even know if that, I know for a fact that I'd never used that phrase in my entire life. I just wish I would have known. I just wish I would have known that that's the way that I was perceived as I was speaking. Where do you go from here? I don't know. I wish I knew, but we know those answers will come in time. Right now, you know, we didn't, we didn't pick this fight. But this is our fight now. And it's not just for what happened between us and the station. You know, this has happened to a lot of people. This has ruined a lot of lives. What what has? This rash to judgment based on knowing so little about the person, about something that's floating around on, on, on social media. You don't know anything outside of basically your own, your own biases, your own prejudices. That's what you're seeing when you're casting quick judgments like that. The overconcern, the the obvious overreaction hmm. to anything that that you might, in some absurd way, imagine as a racial slight. So Rochester, for those who are not New York State natives, is way the hell upstate. It's that basically if you go to the Canadian border halfway to Buffalo, it's where the, you know, Kodak was and Genesee, uh, Jenny Cremail is from. It's a tiny little uh, town, but big for that part of the state. Rochester's mayor and city council 
are now calling for, quote-unquote, real consequences for the management team that failed to immediately apologize and address the slur. Are you fucking so the, kidding me? So the me? fallout doesn't end with just this guy's career being ruined. The last thing I'll say related to this kind of stuff is Matt Welch um, shared uh, an article with me uh, earlier this week, something that was in the New York Times. I just happened to miss it, um, perhaps managed to miss the upset. And I, my life would have been better had I not read <laughs> um, about um, the black parents in Brooklyn, particularly in Bedford-Stuyvesant, who are delighted to send Where their, their black children to public, private, and charter schools that celebrate their child's blackness. The title of the article is, quote, I love my black skin. Why black parents are turning to Afrocentric educational institutions or something to that effect. What I discovered, much to my horror, um, but not so much to my surprise, if that makes any sense to you, is that my tax dollars are supporting public education institutions, if one can call them that, that encourage race tribalism, that that thrive on students self-identifying in a particular way and taking the curriculum and turning it in such a way that it is Kwanzaa-themed, that it's, you know, I don't what's know. What's wrong with being proud of who you are? Traditionally oppressed communities coming uh, um, up with the idea to... Um, celebrate their commonalities as a way to resist the oppression that they felt for centuries. Were that even the case? Were that what was happening? Um, I would still have some objection to it. Um, it is an overcorrection, Matt Welch. If one feels oppressed, if someone says you're awful and your blackness is awful, the response isn't necessarily my blackness is great. It might be, for example, I am a man. And I should be regarded as such, and I have value, and I matter. But it's not nearly the same thing to, to root yourself in racial pride. Like, we recognize that for the tripe that it is when we are describing, we are describing whether or not it's true and attributing to them, white people, a, a, a sensitivity to the fact that they're losing their position of prominence in the country. They're retreating into their whiteness and trying to defend their privilege I don't see much of a difference between that kind of instinct and the explicit thing that's happening in this Times article, what's being described here, where parents are choosing to send their kids to inferior schools, hmm. like statistically are inferior they? schools. Yeah. Really? So that their children can be surrounded by other black students so that they can have as part of the curriculum a celebration of Kwanzaa. The, the, the notion even of like integrating Swahili into these lesson programs in order to inspire me to be a better black man. I don't know. I don't understand the relationship there at all. Do they not understand the geography of yeah, Africa? Not all and of the Africa fact that Swahili Swahili. would have had absolutely nothing to do with 99.9% .9 of the African slaves that were brought to the United States to the extent people have some ancestry there. But I do wonder how you feel about this. Would you make a similar distinction for religious schools? I feel I feel the same way about all sorts of tribal fealty mm -hmm. when it comes to this kind of race tribal stuff. I'm the sort of person that can tolerate your absurdness. Um, what I dislike most is the double standard. Mm -hmm. The, the, the fact that we find it repugnant and reprehensible when Richard Spencer talks about his pride in his people 
and creates all sort of fictions about the various things that they've accomplished and how they've created civilization. And I feel precisely the same way about the various fictions that are invented by Afrocentric schools that talk about Kemet and the Egyptian accomplishments and all kinds of other bullshit that romanticize the accomplishments of the Black Panthers and all sorts of other things and completely ignore the various crimes and egregious awfulness that they participated in. I care about the the, the manufacturing of and the embrace of these artificial constructs for sort of self-pride. Sure. And I think there's something injurious about teaching children to value themselves as a consequence of shit that they happen to be. Mm-hmm. I would never subject my daughter to anything so ugly as going to a school where she was taught to love herself because she is black. I don't mean to interrupt this totally eloquent, clean, and articulate presentation. <laughs> it's the only kind of articulation and then, I like, give. like introduce some slightly more hand back in the conversation. Are you going to go Andy Samberg on us? I'm done. We're done. <laughs> but, but, but. We could be done, but like Angela Davis no, I'm done. news? No. <laughs> I just actually tweeted something about Angela Davis and I'm drunk. <laughs> oh, and I no. Have... Oh, no. Yeah, that's bad. Dude. What did yeah. you tweet? I tweeted at fucking Sally Cohn. It's fine. Oh, just... no. <laughs> oh, yeah. She won't whip up a mob. That's not her style. She's really stupid, by the way. So, <laughs> Michael Moynihan, before, yeah. before we leave you. Yeah, this has got to be the last word. In yeah. the gutter. Um, what care. happened with Angela Davis this week? Uh, the thing about Angela Davis, she was giving, uh, being given an award by Arkansas. I thought it was Atlanta. No, it was Arkansas what? or Alabama. Hey. Uh, some, some NAACP, civil rights organization. And the narrative is being pushed now. I don't know if this is true. It could be true. Mm-hmm. Is that she... That offer was rescinded yeah. after pressure from the local Jewish community because she's a supporter of BDS, which is the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement against Israel. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I support the idea of taking that award away. And this was the away. Alabama Civil Rights Institute. A- a- Alabama Civil Rights Alabama, we were both. Yeah. yeah. So it was an A. Yeah, it was an A. But the idea here is that is because of these sort of um, sort of pro-Israeli people. She's getting her award taken away from her, and she deserves it because she's all these, by the way, the New York Times refers to her as Professor Davis. And I think I said it to you guys, right? Mm-hmm. Today, I can't remember how they described the crimes that she was involved in, but it was... guns. It was, the guns were used for defense? Yeah, she it bought was, guns for defensive purposes. Which was, happened to be used which to Which happened to be used to shoot a judge in the face and blow his head off and kill him. Um, I, I think that's rather offensive. Um, I don't believe that people who were sort of centrist on the right or, were involved in murder or involved in supporting sort of horrible dictatorships as Angela Davis showed up at every sort of dictatorship in East, Eastern Europe and the Soviet bloc and had her picture taken while she was the cause celeb in the 70s. I don't believe these people should be celebrated. And the reason I don't is because I believe that you actually have a period of time in which you can apologize for that and say, you know what? There were bad things going on in the U.S. at the time. The race relations were terrible, but it was not a, a, a beneficial thing for me to back regimes that oppress their own people in different ways, not because of race, but because of class or because of other things. She's never done that. And she's never apologized for the horrible things that she's done and the people that she supported. And, you know, she's become this new hero in the way that Asada Shakur has, too. If you walk around Brooklyn, inevitably you'll see a T-shirt that says, Asada taught me. 
Have you seen that, Camille? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very common. Asana taught me. Asana Shakur is, is in Cuba somewhere because she's uh, evading murder charges of murdering a New Jersey state uh, trooper. Uh, of course, there's these sort of legions of people that say she's innocent in this. I once had an idea to write a book called Guilty in which we would take the people who were celebrated by, you know, activists and point out that all of them were guilty. <laughs> Every single one of them. From Mumia to Leonard Peltier to Asada Shakur to Sacco and Vanzetti. I mean, we can keep going with the Rosenbergs. They ran for president. They got votes. So many of them. All of them guilty, by the way. <laughs> but uh, Angela Davis, the, the, the most recent version of this that I saw was that CNN is doing a, a, a documentary on American style, mm. fashion, style, wonderful people. And in the trailer that they showed on the television, on the network, um, I saw it on television, it's on the YouTube channel too, is within the first three seconds is a picture of Angela Davis with her afro out and looking very cool and her black turtleneck taking a haul off a cigarette and blowing it out and it says like revolutionary style. And this is a woman who was engaged in pretty bad stuff. And I think that when we look back on this, I think the important thing to realize about the sort of sort of black middle class, black bourgeoisie, black intellectual class, is that very, 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 very few people are involved in this. And the number of black Americans at the time supported this stuff is it's true. very small. It's very true. And for some reason now, we're like, you know, it was revolution, it was smart, they were the doing it, and they were fight, kicking against the, 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 the sort of horrible people in government and the horrible sort of capitalist oppressors. The thing to remember is that this was a very, 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 very minority position because the thing to also remember with the Panthers is we have to look at the ideology of the Panthers. That's I wrote right. about this for, for, for uh, Daily Beast a long time ago, two, three, four years ago. But these were people that were effectively Stalinists. And if you want to talk about people that celebrated rape culture, Huey Newton was a rapist, right? He was a rapist. We, we, there's no doubt about this. He beat and, you know, the, 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 it's... it's <laughs> Just take a look at Hugh Pearson's book. He's a bad dude in a lot of ways. Shadow of the Panther. Shadow of the Panther is a great book. But all you have to do is, if you don't believe Hugh Pearson, look at Eldridge Cleaver's own book. Soul on Ice refers to rape as a revolutionary act if you're raping uh, white women. And he talks about his rapes and how he raped these people. And so in this rehabilitation of the Panthers, we have to remember that these people, to, to, to comport with the current politics of the world is that, you know, let's go back and say we had Ben Dreyfus in the show. Richard Dreyfus did something in 1982. Uh, you know, I can tell you that, that Huey Newton did something in 1981. And I can tell you that, that Eldridge Cleaver did something in 1972 and he wrote about it and admitted it. So when we look back at the Panthers as a sort of, you know, broad organization that was revolutionary in nature. They opened was, schools. They opened schools. They and had they, uh, they, breakfast they programs. They had breakfast programs. I used Which to call Huey, this... Huey funded the money out of the schools in order to uh, fund his drug habit. Yes. True yes. story. That's actually a true story. <laughs> but I used to refer to this as the uh, Michael Moynihan free breakfast theory of the world. <laughs> Provided you give people free breakfast, you can do whatever you can, the fuck you, you want. Right? Anything. Kill people. Kill rape people. She calls you baby, shoot her in the yeah, face. Yeah, shoot her in the face. Beat her to death. Be arrested for it. Everyone will forget about it if you gave somebody breakfast 
four years before. <laughs> and it was like a couple of grits and a couple of sausages. You're fine. Hamas, I used to hear about Hamas. They, give, they have great social insurance for the people of Gaza. Oh, good. And you know, They'll pull up a, Jew, like a pizza place full of like Jewish children. But you know what? They once gave somebody a sausage. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, no, no argument there. But the, the the only the only thing I'll say is that Fatah, the the, yeah. the alternative to yes. Hamas, is so the corrupt. Moderate people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but but they are so corrupt that they don't even give those social services. Yeah, exactly. Hamas. exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, I'm gonna get fired tonight. The, no, no, it'll be all be fine. This is, um, I'm gonna take a picture. Of this is the last show. There's a there's a bright <laughs> spot. <laughs> there is a bright spot here. Um, the bright spot Can't is um, <laughs> you got to cut a lot Kathy, of this. <laughs> yeah, Christy Gosser. She uh, sent the uh, angels. I love you, Christy. Angels rye. I love you so. Angels much. envy. Uh, so she. Yeah, this, 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 this is this is the end of my career. Yeah. <laughs> the fuel so, Christy, Christy, uh, what? Christy. Yeah. Christy Gossard. Gossard. Listen, Christy, Christy Gossard, thank this you so much for the Angels Envy finished rye, finished with Caribbean rum casks, just like our careers are finished. This is yeah. not <laughs> the first time that we've had <laughs> Angels Envy. No, it's As not. As an Angels yeah. fan, bring it, bring it. Bring it. If you want to, like, vote for Matt, yeah. <laughs> Angels send, Envy. Send us a rally monkey if next time. If you want yeah. to vote for Moynihan, 40-ouncer champagne of beers. <laughs> <laughs> All Look right, these fucking idiots. By the way, I'm not gonna tell anyone at home wh who these people are. Oh, dear. that's some fucking disgusting, horrible shit. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> let's God. get out of here. All right, bye, All right. bye. bye. We, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.